moves me to remember how amazing God is. And so we are here today to celebrate what God has done, but let's be honest, some of you are wondering, you're here today because you're like, okay, but what is God doing? You know, that, that was great then, but now where does that lead to us? And so uh, just to kind of give you a quick update, and then I'm going to I don't know if you noticed, but there's somebody else up here with me, um, but I'll hand it off to him in a moment. But before I do, I just want to kind of give you an update on how we're doing. So 1.38 million was what was raised. That's the total number. We have this on the, on the screen there. That's, that's the total that we committed to give over two years. And so we're almost halfway. We're about halfway there, as we just sang a little bit ago. And so the question is, how are we doing? Are we doing okay? Are we, are we doing all right? And the answer to that is we're doing better. Better than all right, this is how much we brought in. We brought in $816,949. Yes. Amen to that. That's awesome. We're almost at 60% before we get to 50% of the way calendar year, okay? So this is really, really amazing. God continues to move and to work in and through our church. It's just awesome to see that, okay? But the question is now, why does that matter? Why do the dollars matter? Why does it matter that we did the S campaign? Why does any of this matter? That's a great question. The reason it matters is because we've been able to do a whole bunch of other work behind the scenes that nobody really knows because it's not public kind of work. And so I've invited somebody much shorter than me. I kid you not, we were testing the camera and Ryan said, can I just set my arm on Brent's shoulder and do that? I'm like, that's sad that you can do that. And my, uh, and my me, head was cut off in the video. <laughs> and your they face was cut it. off in the video. We had to change the frame uh, because I am not a tall dude, okay? But Ryan Meester is here uh, in all seriousness, and, uh, and he is a key member of our Building and Next Steps team is what we call them, Building Next Steps. We have a whole crew, that, uh, a whole team member, uh, team that's on there, and Ryan Meester is one of those uh, team members, and so I've asked him if he would come and share with all of you some of the work, specific work that has been done behind the scenes uh, because of the Yes campaign, okay? So I'm going to just kind of get out of the way. I want you to listen to Ryan. Ryan, thank you for being here to share and kind of give us the, you know, the background nitty-gritty details. Yeah, perfect. Go. Well, before I get started, I learned two other things from that video. One, I liked Bearded Brent. I liked Bearded Brent. <laughs> and two, I'm a really ugly well, crier. Laura, Laura, Laura's excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Laura doesn't like Bearded Brent? Even better. Even better. Even better. Amen to that. Amen. <laughs> Preach it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get a little more serious now, I promise. Um, so first of all, thank you for giving me a chance to do this. I, I joked with Brent uh, before first service, I feel like I've been a little cloak and dagger, like trying to hide from people as they ask me questions for the last couple years, because like we don't want to share too much. We don't want to get people's hopes up here or there, or whatever. So it's like, trust us, something's happening. But actions speak louder than words, right? So what I'm, what I'm hoping to do here today is give you a little bit of peek into what those actions have been, uh, what we've been doing, especially over the last uh, year or so. But I want to start, actually, from the beginning. If I go back in the Wayback Machine, I started this process with Brent here in Northridge about seven years ago, looking for what might be the next home of Northridge. But I, as I said, when we first started that, it kind of felt just more like an exploratory exercise, like we were kind of kicking the tires. We've looked at every building that's ever come up for sale in Wanakee. We went through a spice building. They had like made spices in this building for 40 years. We would have been like sneezing on cumin during service probably. Uh, we did that. We've checked out stuff that they were leasing. We've checked out lots. Um, all this stuff was happening over the course of those first really five years that, that I was doing that. But it never really felt real because there never felt like the right opportunity or the ability to act on the right opportunity when it popped up. 
And then something really changed actually back in, in 2021. We came across a building that was available, and we're gonna actually throw it up on the screen here. At the time, it was the Tormac building, and Tormac was the company that was in this building. You guys probably recognize uh, where it's at. The, the satellite's pretty old picture. That place has changed a ton since that picture was taken. But to kind of orient you, Octopi is on that road, on Unique Drive. I know Octopi is basically the entire industrial park now, but that big build, Octopi building is right there. And if you kind of go down Unique Drive, you'll come to the corner there and the retention pond, and that's where this Tormac building was. And in the, that's the yellow circle. And then the red circle now is a whole neighborhood. There's like almost 200 houses that have gone up in that neighborhood. None of them existed when we looked at that building in 2021. So we looked at the building in 2021, we walked through it. We thought, well, this, this one's different. The, the size fits what we're looking for. The layout fits what we're kind of looking for. Mm -hmm. This is awesome. We don't have any money was the problem. <laughs> I so, mean, it, that's, a, that's a small thing, right? Yeah. It's small. So we weren't in a position back then to actually move and make an offer that would have been, we kind of would have probably been laughed at with our offer back in 2021. And so, you know, after looking over it and really trying to figure out, is there any way to make it happen? We just weren't in that position. The building ended up selling. Uh, to a different company about a month or so after we had looked at it and we kind of thought okay that you know that time had passed you know that opportunity kind of passed us by and really in, in my opinion that spurned us into action to say we don't want something like that to happen again if we have another opportunity to act on something we want to be in a position to be able to to act on it and so that was really a genesis for what started first an exploratory exercise for what would it cost to build a building? Like if we designed the building, the perfect building that we think we would want, what would that look like and what would that cost? Help, help orient like, you know, where do we fit? Like where do we fit in this marketplace? So we did that first and then obviously the Yes campaign launched um, about a year ago. And so as Brent has said already many times, you know, we, the, what's come through the Yes campaign put us in then a position to say, hey, now what's next? What is gonna be the next opportunity? And that brings us to September of this year, or September of 2023. Um, I was actually in Vegas at a work conference and I get an email from Pastor Nick and it says, the Tormac building's back for sale. Now it wasn't the Tormac building anymore, somebody else had bought it, but that's how we had all talked about it for two years about, man, the Tormac building. Um, it's just been always kind of in the back of our head. So they came back up for sale and we were like, hey, we're ready. Like now we're prepared because of what this entire group of people has done. We're now in a position where we can actually go in and make a real strong offer. And if this is the place we're supposed to be, we can make it happen. So that, I mean, I was pumped. I was in Vegas, so I was kind of jazzed anyway, but like, I'm like, let's go. We can make this happen. It's fair. Yeah. And so we, we acted extremely quickly. We were back and within a week, we had done all of our diligence with the CFO of the Great Lakes region um, and we put in an offer. Uh, it was quickly rejected, unfortunately, the first one. Um, you know, you expect negotiation, right? We're like, okay, it's not gonna be as easy as maybe we were hoping, but we're still in the game. But it took a lot more diligence than to say, okay, what is the best offer we can put out there? If we feel like this is the, the place we're supposed to be, what is the best offer that we, can, that we can give? And right around Christmas, actually, we went back to the table and we made an even stronger offer. What we feel was an extremely strong offer and honestly is, is the best offer we can possibly do right now, you know, based on our financial position and, and where we're at. And sadly, again, right around Christmas, it was rejected. So rude, so rude. <laughs> I'm just kidding, it's not rude. <laughs> People have a right to sell the building for whatever they want. I was pretty bummed, obviously, um, but it didn't happen. And so that's essentially where we're at now in this position is the building's still for sale. It's still out there, um, still a possibility, but something would have to change on one or the other side, right? Our position could change 
the seller's position could change. Um, as we all know, we like to control things, but this is God's timing, not our timing, which is very hard for me to deal with sometimes. Uh, but that's kind of the position we've ended up putting in. Um, so a couple other things that are important here. I know people get excited. We do not own this building yet. Maybe we will someday. I don't want to hear about 40 people going to the building, like putting their hands on it and praying for it. Okay. Brent says this a lot. Don't be weird. Okay. But we do want you to pray about it because we still think it could be a very good option for us. Uh, like we said, a lot of the reasons why it fits. Um, and we're in a position, like I said, we put in a really strong offer. And, uh, you know, we're just trusting that that God will come through. And if it's not this one, it'll be something else. So we want to make sure everybody was aware of kind of what's been going on. Um, we did take action, like as serious as it gets. Um, and I think, you know, Brent will talk about this a little bit more. But this is a huge leap. Like when we made that offer, it was, it was we, we kind of dipped our toe in, you know, the first time when we did the Yes campaign. This was like we're jumping all the way in. If they accept this, like we're off and running. It's a, it's a huge deal. Um, and it's not just acquiring the building, it's renovating the building, it's making sure you have parking, it's making sure you have code bathrooms, it's making sure all the stuff fits, and there, it's a leap of faith. Um, but I think the good news is we were in a position because of all you and because of what God did during the Yes campaign to make it real. Yeah. And while it hasn't worked out yet, we're hopeful and we trust that it, it will at some point. Awesome. So I did this first service and I surprised Brent, but I'll do, I'll do it okay. again. Let, let's um, do it. I just thought we'd, I'd just pray for you guys, take it off of his plate. I'll do a quick prayer, a prayer for the building, hopefully something that you guys will join us in doing as well. So let's just take a quick prayer. Lord, thank you again for everything you've done for us as a church. Uh, we know we've heard many times the church is not a building. The church is the people that make up that. But we also know and we, we are, are hopeful for what we can do when we have that future building, what we can do in the community, how we can serve better people by having that. And we trust that this is something you're alongside us with. And even if we don't understand the timing or get frustrated when things don't work out, we trust that you'll be able to bring us through it. So whether it's this or something else, uh, we stay committed to you. We appreciate your faithfulness and we look forward to what's next. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Ryan for sharing all that, doing all that? Thank you, Ryan. <clears throat> And that was a treat for me because I didn't know that he was going to pray for all that. He just did that for service. Like, oh, that was awesome. So, uh, but seriously, Ryan, thank you. Great uh, job updating. So that is what is happening. And I just wanted to kind of tag off of that. You noticed right when you walked in, we have a whole bunch of yes stuff. I kind of made a joke about it earlier, but we have a whole bunch of yes stuff. And here's what I, I'm just going to very quickly kind of breeze off of this. If you are curious about what God is doing and what um, God wants to continue to do, because we are, keep this in mind, we're halfway through a two-year. I don't know if you caught that. We're halfway, okay? But we're only halfway, which means there is a lot more room for God to continue to work in this next year and beyond that. Okay, that's what's really important. And so um, what I want to ask all of you to do, some of you, you've already committed. You've already, you're already giving, you're already committed to give, or you, you committed to give uh, a lump sum maybe later on and you're getting ready to give that. Whatever it is, a lot of you are already engaged. And let me just say this, um, the video kind of captured a little bit of this, but, but sometimes we forget, like the number is very, a very tangible uh, way that we can see how powerfully God moved and how he worked. 
But can I just say that behind the scenes, there were so many incredible things that happened as people fasted and prayed um, together as a church. We saw marriages where, where people were, were kind of at odds and they came back together. And they even said, some said, we've never been able to talk about money or other things without fighting. And we were able to do that this over during this thing. And we saw people fast, like we had people fast from hot showers. Did you know that? Like that's crazy. For three weeks, getting, giving up hot showers, that's no joke. Um, and we had people give up all kinds of things. And so here's what I want to invite all of you to do. A lot of you already committed to doing this. You're still doing this. And that's awesome. Thank you for doing that. And, and in fact, let me just pause there for a moment. Those of you that have already given financially, sacrificed financially and spiritually, you've fasted, you've been praying, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. And I say that because what Ryan said, seriously, we literally had the same building pass by and we couldn't do anything. We couldn't even take the shot. There was no shot to be taken because we couldn't. And now as a result of what God did through you and your generosity, we actually had, not only could we take a shot, but we took a real shot. We put a real offer in. And that is big because we couldn't have even done that before. And so thank you for your generosity. Now, tagging off of that, the, why did we bring all this stuff out? We brought it all out. Number one, if you have already committed to give and, and spiritually commit to the Yes campaign, then you already know what you did. You clipped a token on there. Can I just encourage you to do something? Check it out. Go look at it. It's still there. We didn't take it off. We didn't look at a couple and be like, mm, I don't know. We haven't messed with it, okay? They're still on there. They're all on there. We haven't moved anything. Everything's clipped on there. And so those of you that maybe weren't here for the Yes campaign and all of you who are already in the Yes campaign, here's what I want to ask all of you to do. So this is everybody, not just the ones who weren't or the ones who were. This is everybody. I want you to engage again. I want you to engage again. Um, and and how, how, how would you do that? Well, first, here, let me give you the first step. It's really simple. You see those really, really bright green bags back there? You just grab one. Just take one. Now, if you already are committed into the Yes campaign, you already have one, so just hold on to the one that you have. You don't have to grab one. You can grab another one if you want. But if you weren't here for the Yes campaign, grab that bag. Here's what's in there. What you'll find in there is you'll have a 21-day spiritual journey booklet. And I, let me tell you, I went through mine. I still have mine on my desk. I wrote some powerful things that God said to me during that, those three weeks. Powerful stuff in that, in that journey book. Um, that's in the bag. Now, you'll have a spiritual commitment card where you can choose to fast and do all kinds of stuff. If you want to do that, there's a receptacle. You can drop it in there and say, I am going to fast and I'm going to do this for this long. This is, this is just so that we can pray for you and, and celebrate that you're doing it. That's it. You're going to have uh, a case statement. It tells basically why we did all this. Ryan kind of mentioned that. Why did we do this? So that we can go after the next thing. And, uh, and then you'll have a financial commitment card. If you want to join us financially, we're only halfway there, and we still have a lot of room to go. And so if you can join us in that, that would be awesome. But here's, here's an important piece to this. Okay, Seriously, hear me on this. It's important. Remember that we did not make our public commitment and clip everything onto the mountain until after three weeks of praying, fasting, digging in, and listening for what God said. Okay? So this is important. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring this yes stuff out every week for the next three weeks, all the way through Sunday the 3rd. 
Okay? So we're not going to have a public commitment time again and do all that stuff. But any time over the next three weeks, if you want to make a commitment, spiritual commitment, fasting, praying, financial commitment, all of that stuff that you need to do that is in the bag. And if you have questions, who you talk to and how, who you contact is in the bag. Okay? You catch this? Everything's in the bag. It's an all-inclusive bag. Okay? But grab the bag. If you have questions, let us know. And then I want to invite you to do one thing, though, that I want everybody to do. So if you remember last year, we prayed at the same time in the afternoon every single day. Do you remember that? You remember what time that was? 3.16. Remember that? And that was tied to Joshua 3.16 in the Bible, 3.15 and 16. And that was the moment when the Israelites were on the wrong side of the Jordan River and God asked them to step into the flooded Jordan River so that they could cross and he stopped the water so that they could go to the land on the other side. As Ryan said, we dipped our toe in in the Yes campaign. We just launched ourselves in by making an offer. And I believe the next moment is probably soon on the horizon. I, I really believe that. I hope so. But either way, to Ryan's point, if I was controlling it, we already would have had it. <laughs> God's timing is different and that's cool. But will you pray with us at 316? I already set my reminder on my phone. It went off yesterday. We're starting today, going through Sunday, March 3rd. And uh, it went off yesterday, but I was running all over yesterday afternoon. And so I looked at my phone, and uh, it was like 430 in the afternoon. I missed it. And I was like, oh, I wanted to do this one day early. So I could tell you I did it one day early. <laughs> I wanted to look better. But I forgot. And so at 430, you know where I was? I was in Walgreens. And so I prayed in Walgreens. No, I didn't shout. Hey, that would have been weird. They would have probably called security. But I prayed in Walgreens. Would you join us at 316 every day for the next three weeks to pray specifically for what God wants to do in the future? Grab a bag, engage. If you have questions, let us know. Cool? All right. Here's what I want to do. I want to switch gears really quick. Okay? And uh, I'm going to kind of try to streamline this as fast as I can, but I want to switch gears. So about 10, a little over 10 years ago, we as a church, we celebrated our one-year anniversary. Okay? We celebrated our one-year anniversary. And at that service, we were at the Performing Arts Center in uh, the high school, and uh, I had three numbers on the stage that I spoke about. And those three numbers combined to make one large number, 167. And I talked about that. Now, if you've been to Northridge for any length of time, you've heard this number. And the reason you've heard this number is because this number is, it signifies a very important principle at our church. It's a guiding foundational principle that guides what we do, it guides how we do it, it guides what we kind of focus on, why we think things are important. This 167 principle is very important to us. And you probably have never heard of it outside of Northridge because it's a very unique Northridge thing. It's like, it's our thing. Um, this is something that, that God kind of gave to me in the middle of a coffee shop, Eminem's Coffee House, several years ago when I was having a conversation with a guy named Craig Raymond. Okay. And this principle, I'm not going to unpack it yet, but what I want to do is I want to talk about a biblical story that highlights what the 167 principle is. And so let me set up the context. Jesus and the 12 disciples are at a table. It's the Last Supper. It's what we call the Last Supper. It was a Passover meal. This is something that they do every single year. It's a very special, very, very incredible holiday time where they would celebrate what God had done hundreds and hundreds of years before. 
and they're celebrating the Passover meal. So just imagine, okay, now we sit at, on chairs at tables. That's not how the Jewish culture did it. They would lounge next to the table. So the table was kind of, you know, just off the floor, and they would lounge on pillows or on the table itself. And so their head and their, like their chest and their shoulders would rest on the table, and then their feet, the rest of their body would kind of go away from the table, and they would be around a table like that. So imagine the 12, the, uh, the 12 disciples and Jesus, they're having this dinner together. But I want you to remember what's going on in that supper. Jesus is the only one in the room that knows that Judas, one of the 12 disciples, is going to betray him. Just a few hours. In just a few hours, Judas is going to betray him. Judas has a kind of has an inkling that he's going to do this. Jesus knows he's going to do Something else that Jesus knows is he knows that Peter, one of the other disciples, he's going to deny Jesus three times that he knows Jesus. Three times. Jesus knows this as he's at the dinner table. Peter's there. Judas is there. He can see them. They're right there. They're about to betray him. He knows this. Jesus knows when he's arrested, after he's betrayed and arrested, the 12 disciples are going to run. They're going to leave. They're going to scatter. They're going to leave Jesus in, his, in this moment of need. They're going to take off. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that this time the next day, by this time the next time, he will be crucified on a cross. And the reason is because he's going to feel and experience and have the weight of the sin of every single human being that has ever existed and will ever exist on his body and on his soul. And the weight of that sin is going to be nailed to a cross. Now I want you to imagine the burden, the weight, the immense pain that Jesus must have been feeling as he is having the dinner with these 12 disciples. That, that pressure, that burden must have been incredibly intense, something that we maybe will never experience. It must have been pressing on him. And I want you to imagine that that's going on inside of Jesus. He's the only one that knows this. None of the 12 disciples know that that's about to happen, but he does. And it's in the midst of that that John, one of the disciples, he's right next to Jesus. He records this in the Gospel of John. He records what Jesus does next. Keep that in context as I read this. John 13, starting with verse 4. So Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now I'm going to pause there for a moment because that's an important question. Why is Peter asking? Is Peter asking because he doesn't realize what Jesus is doing, that, that he hasn't been watching? No, that's not the case, because Peter is in the room. See, understand, Peter has been watching what Jesus is doing. Jesus has been going to the different disciples, and he gets down, and he washes their feet, then he dries their feet, and then he moves on to the next disciple. Peter knows what he's doing. He didn't ask because he didn't know. Do you know why Peter asked this question of Jesus? Peter asked this question because he didn't know what else to say because he was embarrassed. He was feeling ashamed in this moment. And here's why. 
See, in Jewish culture, washing feet was a normal, respectable thing that everybody had to do. See, we didn't, you know, these nice shoes, I've got these high tops. They go all the way up to my ankles. Like, they protect my feet. Let let me be honest. If I pulled my shoes off and I show you my feet, you'd probably be like, "Mm." hey? But at least on some level, they'd be clean. On some level. But the truth is that in this culture, in Jewish culture, where they walked and, and the type of shoes that they had, they, at most they had like a little piece of leather and then they wrapped other pieces of little uh, pieces of leather around their ankles, around their feet to hold those pieces of leather to their feet. They didn't have much. They were glorified sandals, but not even as good as sandals. Okay? And so everything, everywhere they go, their feet are stepping in whatever they're stepping in. Remember, this is also an animal culture, and so there's animal stuff everywhere, you understand. Sand, dirt, animal, excrement everywhere, and we're walking through it everywhere we go. And now the disciples come in, and they come with those nasty feet, and Jesus is washing Just imagine that. But the reason Peter's embarrassed is because Jesus is doing something that the disciples should have done before then. See, they're embarrassed because Jesus, their Lord and teacher, the highest ranking person in the room, is doing what the lowest servant in the room normally does. He took off his robe, he puts the towel around, and he starts washing their feet. Now, Now, here's what we all know. Whether it's Jewish culture or today, we don't like other people washing our feet unless you go in for a little pedicure. And then then it's like designed that way, you know, and they have all the things. You're like, okay, you can look at my nasty feet. It's fine, you know? But otherwise, we don't like people doing that. If, if, for example, if you were going in for a pedi, like you're, you're prepared for that. But what if in this moment I said, okay, everybody take off your socks and shoes. We're going to play some music. We're going to sing Living on a Prayer again. And we're going to wander around the room. And wherever you end up, whoever you end up next to, you're going to actually wash their feet. And they're going to wash your feet. Let me just tell you what I know would happen in the room. There would be some uncomfortable people up in here. I know you, I know it would. You know why? Because nobody wants to touch people's feet. I don't know, I like to wash my own feet. Peter's embarrassed because Jesus is doing something that they should have already done. Let me try to put this in modern context. I want you to imagine that you're in a waiting room. It's at a clinic or a hospital or something like that. And this waiting room is packed. You know how they have the chairs set up around the room and have little tables and the lamps and all kind of stuff. And, and they have the magazines. By the way, I'm just saying, some of you are in healthcare, and I'm sorry that I'm digging in on this. I can't stand the vast majority of the magazines that you guys put on the tables. Good housekeeping, don't care. My wife cares, but I don't care. You know, uh, better homes and gardens, I don't want that. I don't want better homes and gardens. I just want like, you know, and and so I'm like, I'm looking for field and stream. When I find a field and stream, I'm like, yes. Thank you, Lord. You know, but I just want you to imagine you're in a waiting room, okay? And the waiting room's packed. There's only a few seats. There's only a few chairs and there's way too many people for them. And so it's, it's just packed. And then in walks an older gentleman. And walk is a strong word. This gentleman that walks in, he can barely walk. It's painful, clearly, every time he takes a step. 
It's awful. He winces every time he tries to move. But he tries to hide it because he has, you know, trying to hold on to that dignity thing. And he shuffles in and he's, he's hobbling and he's just barely able to make it into the waiting room. And then he looks around and he sees that there's nowhere to sit. He's trying to figure out what to do because he can barely stand, let alone walk. And this guy, he, he doesn't have anything to do and so he finds a, a spot against the wall and he kind of turns the corner and leans up against the wall and tries to prop himself awkwardly, painfully against the wall until you know things can be taken care of and he can move and go in to see who he's there to see. Until all of a sudden, in the far corner of the waiting room, as far away from the doors as you can get, there's another lady who is on crutches and she's clearly in a similar kind of mode as this guy who can barely walk. And she gives her crutches and she pulls her crutches to her and she stands up and it's clearly painful for her to do so. And she moves out of her chair and she leans up against the wall next to the chair and then she motions him to come over and sit down. And I want you to just imagine as this guy shuffles by all those people, and you know what he sees as he goes by? He sees people staring at their phones. He sees people reading their Better Homes and Garden magazine. He sees them talking. He even sees a couple people that are sleeping against the wall in their chair. And I want you to imagine as he shuffles past and finally sits down, the embarrassment and the shame that a lot of people would probably feel because they realize they should have gotten out of their seat. That's exactly what was happening at the supper. Jesus stoops down, he gets on the floor and he's washing the disciples' feet and then he gets up after that and he sits down, he puts his robe back on and John records what Jesus says in this moment. I want you to catch this. Listen to what Jesus says. John chapter 13, verse 12. After washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Do as I have done to you. I've given you an example. See, what Jesus is doing is he was giving an example to the disciples and to you and I of what we need to do as followers of Jesus, as followers of Christ. He's giving us an example. What is the example? Here's the example. It's very simple. We need to serve. We need to sacrifice. We need to give ourselves away. We need to give up. We need to actually make ourselves uncomfortable. How many of you want to sign up for uncomfortable? I don't know about you, but when there's awkward, uncomfortable moments, or I think they're going to be uncomfortable, awkward moments, I don't even show up. Anybody else opt out before you ever get there? You're like, mm, I don't think I'm even going to go because the possibility is there that it's going to be awkward. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to be awkward. I don't want to do that. And so we just, we just opt out ahead of time. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Not only do we not opt out, we engage. We jump in. We're all in. No matter the, do you think the disciples were uncomfortable? Oh my goodness, they were uncomfortable. Was Jesus, was this task for Jesus? Was this for the highest ranking member in the room? No, it was not at all. And yet Jesus is not above this task. And he also is not above making them uncomfortable. By serving them in a brilliant and powerful way. 
See, the truth is that this brings us back to the 167. So what is the 167? Let me just lay it out really, really fast. The 167 is very simply this. In a week, you have 168 hours. Every one of us has the same amount of time every single week. You all have 168 hours to use this week. So do I, so do you. We're all the same that way. Nobody's different. We all have 168 hours. Now, out of that 168 hours, what we're hoping, what we desire, what we're praying for is that you choose to spend at minimum one hour together here worshiping and honoring Jesus with our voices and our togetherness as the body of Christ. Okay, this is good. See, this is, this is good. We are the body of Christ gathered together, and that is awesome. We hope that at minimum, again, smallest level, you spend at least an hour, one hour a week doing this. Okay, good. But then if you subtract that, you're left with 167 other hours in your week. And so it starts from Sunday, you have one hour, that's great. And then the rest of the week, you have 167 other hours. And you know what Jesus is saying to us? to all of us that we need to do with that 167 hours, we serve, we sacrifice, we're uncomfortable, we give ourselves away, we're on mission. Now, let me try to illustrate this. Um, so I want to show you a, a picture. Um, this picture is from Star Wars, okay? And uh, if you take a look at this picture, this, you're going to know this. If you like Star Wars, you would like to look at this. Um, this picture is when the rebels are, have come together to plan their attack against the Death Star, okay? Uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, you kind of know, but let me just tell you what the Death Star is. Simply put, the Death Star is a massive weapon that causes death and destruction, okay? That's what it is. Um, I know some of you are like, no, it's a planet killer. It blows up planets. Okay, I know. I get it. That's specifically what it does. But the Death Star is like, it causes death and destruction. And in this meeting, that does, in, the, in the movie Star Wars, all the rebels have gathered together and they're, they're planning and they're talking about how are we going to attack the Death Star? How are we going to do this? Let's get motivated. Woo, we're going to take down the evil empire. Like, let's go. Death and destruction is going down. We're going to save lives. We're going to have this. We're going to do these amazing things. Okay, that's what's happening in this meeting. Now, let me just tell you, you know what would be really weird is if right after this scene, they rolled the credits. Da, 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 da. We had the meeting. And yet, as followers of Jesus, sometimes we think what we're doing right now, this hour is the thing. Mm-mm. No, 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 this is not the thing. I'm not saying this isn't important. I'm saying it's not the thing. You know why it's not the thing? Here's why. Same way in Star Wars, the rebel meeting was not the thing. You know what the meeting was? The meeting was really important. I'm not saying that this is important. We need to gather together as the body of Christ. Absolutely. I'm not saying, like, I don't want, you know, for the next several weeks, you guys just don't show up and you're like, well, Pastor Brent, you said, this, this isn't the thing. We don't need to do this. Okay? That's, that's not my point. My point is, this is important, but it's not the thing because this thing, when we come together, when we worship, when we sing, when we praise God, when we glorify Jesus, when we uh, sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron, as we encourage each other, as we challenge each other, as we call each other out, as we hear God's word, as we sing his praises, as we do all of those things, this is the body of Christ. This is like our plan of attack. And then you know when it really hits the fan? It's when you leave these doors. 
when you walk out of this building, that's when it's go time. When the rebels left that meeting, then they went and they blew up the Death Star. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to go and you're supposed to blow up the Death Star. You know who the Death Star is? Satan. (laughs) We are here for this gathering as the body of Christ, not because this is the thing, but because we're about to go into the thing to be on mission. The 167. Every time you leave here, every time you walk out these doors, every time you come to a Northridge event or thing, remember that that thing is not the thing. When you leave that thing is when you're really on mission because when we try understanding the 167 principle that guides our whole church, it will stop keeping you focused on coming to church or going to church or attending church and it's going to help you remember to be the church. And how can we be the church? By serving, by sacrificing, by giving ourselves away on a daily basis. It's almost like we need to live for something bigger than ourselves. Isn't it? Something that's greater than ourselves? Something that's bigger than just us? Um, I was, I, I get really excited about the Super Bowl because I like sports. I just, I really, really love sports. And I know I'm about to say something. I'm sorry for those of you in here who are Kansas City Chiefs fans and 49er fans. Ron, I see you, brother. Okay, all right. Uh, and, and, I, and I dug in in first service, and uh, man, I got, I got a little bit of hate mail on the way out, but, you know, whatever. But let me just say, I don't really care about either team in the Super Bowl this time. In fact, I'd be like, can they both lose? That'd be awesome, okay? <laughs> pray, pray for me. Ron, you can pray for me, okay? All right, I hear you. All right. So, but, but, but I really don't because I'm, I'm a Packers fan, I'm a Broncos fan, and, and understand that the Chiefs are in the Broncos division and the 49ers beat the Broncos in the 90s like all the time. And I, I just don't have a love for either team. You know what I want? I want a really good game with a lot of controversy, like crazy stuff happens. So we have something to talk about on Monday. Like, okay, that's cool. That's what I'm going for. Okay. The reason I bring all that up is I've been listening and watching, you know, stuff about the Super Bowl because I'm just fascinated about it. Not, I haven't spent a lot of time, but, but a little bit. And this is really cool. Uh, Brock Purdy, who is the quarterback for the 49ers. See, Ron, I'm giving you a little bit of love, okay? Brock Purdy's the, the quarterback for the 49ers. He's a young dude, okay? And he's going to play in his first Super Bowl tonight. Pretty cool thing, Okay. But the media has been asking him a lot of questions. And one of the questions they've been asking him is, Brock, how are you feeling about going into the Super Bowl? This huge, important, like massive, everybody's going to be watching you kind of game. And do you know what he said this last week? This, this is a direct quote of what he, how he responded to the media this week. I love this. By the way, you're going to tell that he's a young dude okay, by how he answers. Listen to this. He says, I mean, the bottom line is life isn't about you. Like, that's what I believe, you know. Being a part of something bigger than yourself. You get wrapped up in getting all the glory and the fame and the status, but I feel like that's a shallow life. That can fade away pretty quickly. Hmm. That's kind of powerful. Can you tell that Brock Purdy is a, is a faithful follower of Jesus? He is. He's very outspoken about it. I love that. What if, what if instead of living for the one hour, 
we lived in this hour to get excited about what we're going to do 167 other hours when we leave this building. Now that's a church that's a force to be reckoned with because we get that this is not the thing but what Jesus wants to do the rest of the week is the thing. And then we come back together to re-up and re-energize and sharpen again. And then we go back out and we come back. Yep, Death Star's still there. Let's keep going after it. And then we go and we go and we go and we go. This is not the thing. That's the thing. This is important to get us to the thing. And how do we love? How do we do this? Because I love what Jesus said. Do you know what he said just a few minutes after he washed their feet? Listen to what he said. Again, John recording all this. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Did you catch that? Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You know, one of the most powerful ways to love somebody is to serve them. It's to sacrifice for them. To give yourself away for them. It's not always the easiest, not always the most comfortable, but it's the most powerful way to love somebody. And you know how I know that? Because that's how Jesus did it. Not just washing the feet, but his whole life was serving and sacrificing for others. And so I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. I did this to them uh, for service too, so let's just keep going with that. I'm, I'm throwing everybody off. But we're gonna end, so... Last week, I don't know if you remember this, but we sang um, a song called I Speak Jesus. You guys know it well because we sing it a lot here at Northridge because we just believe so strongly in the words of this song. And we sang it last week, but I asked, and we don't normally do this uh, because we like to spread them out a little bit more, you know, so you're not like, oh, we just sang that song like 12 times over the last 12 weeks. So we spread them out, but I asked, can we sing I Speak Jesus again and end the service with it? And, you know, they said, sure. Okay, cool. But I wanted to end with this song, and this is why. Because when you serve, when you give yourself away, when you give yourself to somebody else, when you start being aware of what people are dealing with in life, and there's stuff that you guys are dealing with in life right now. We can't physically see it, but there's stuff that's going on, stuff that you're struggling with. And let me just say that, that we're probably not necessarily called to wash people's feet. In our culture, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But here's what does. Okay, let me, let me just dig in for just a moment. Here's what does. If you guys leave here and go to lunch, probably, depending on where you go to lunch, somebody's going to take your order. Or if you go to a sit-down place, somebody's going to serve you. They're going to bring you your food, and you're going to take your order, serve you food, bring your drinks, all kind of stuff. And let me just tell you that that is a person. Newsflash, that is a person. And can I tell you that sometimes that person in front of you is thinking that their life is done and they want to end it. You know how I know this? I know this because I've had a couple of different people in different situations one was not a restaurant. One was. Another one wasn't. And it was very clear to me that as we started asking questions that they were moving toward ending their life. You have the power of life in you with Jesus. And the question is, are you willing to let it go? Let it out.
Let it, let it flow. Are you willing to serve? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to be uncomfortable? Is it uncomfortable to ask how they're really doing? Of course it's uncomfortable. And especially, you know what's going to be really uncomfortable? When they actually share that they're really struggling with something, then it's going to be really uncomfortable. And it's going to mess up your lunch. But praise God for it. Because you might save a life. I think that's more important than your lunch. I mean, I'm just saying. And so as we sing this song, you know what you do when you love people, when you sacrifice, when you serve? The best thing that you do is you speak Jesus on them. You speak Jesus over them, in them, around them, through them. You speak Jesus. You don't even necessarily always have to use words. Just simply noticing somebody, looking at them in the eyes and letting them know, I see you. I know you exist. You are loved. Even though you don't feel like it, you are loved. Simply by doing that, we can speak Jesus over people. And that's what this song is really about. Getting rid of addiction, getting rid of the power of evil, getting rid of all of the stuff out of our life and allowing Jesus to replace it. You have that power because Jesus offers you that power. Are you using it? 167 other hours of your week? Are you? This is not the thing. In about seven minutes, you're about to enter the thing. The mission field is all around us. Every person that you see this week, that's your mission. What are you going to do? Speak, Jesus. Go ahead and stand. Let's sing.